He was in front of his congregation. And he said he had been recently at an old bookstore, sold used books. And he found, while he was searching there at this old this used bookstore, he found uh, a big book. It was a Wiccan book of spells. And as he thumbed through it, he found some interesting things. He found some of the spells interesting, and he's telling this to his congregation from the pulpit. And he, he holds up a book and said, and I brought it here today, and I, I wanted to share some of these interesting things with you. And he notes as he looked around, People looked kind of nervous. Some people looked uncomfortable. And then he shared with them. He turned it around. He said, it's my prayer journal. And then he, he shares with them. But I noticed some of you were nervous. And I, I noticed some of you were uncomfortable. Because you thought somehow I was going to say something. I was going to uh, repeat something and unleash some sort of evil power Unleash something that had power over you or something evil would come in. And then he noted, yet you come every week, every week to hear the word of God preached. And you have no expectation that God's word in power will go out. That, that it will actually do something. That something right here is actually happening. That is supernatural. So I, I would encourage you, brethren... To come even now with an expectation, as far as I am faithful, to explain to you what the Lord has said, to expect something to happen. I, I know we're Reformed Baptists and we're accused of believing the Trinity as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures, right? We believe in the Holy Spirit. We're not about charismatic craziness, but there is a component to the emotions. It is real. Expect today. For the word of God to do something. Believe that it will do what it says about itself. It says it will divide the bone from the marrow. The soul from the spirit. It will change how you think. It will change how you act. Come with an expectation today. And with that, that's not the sermon, that's the introduction. (laughs) With that, if I could ask you out of respect for the word of God... To stand with me as I read. I'm going to be reading from 1 John, as I said, chapter 2. We'll be taking a look today at just the first two verses, but I'm going to read to you the first six because I want you to get the full context of what is going on here. These are the words of our God. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Our Lord and our God, O Father, come now and meet with us.
Help us to believe, Father, that this word, in fact, is your very word given to us, Father. It's powerful. It's active, Father. It knows us better than we know ourselves, Father. It knows you better than we know you. So, Father, see fit now, please, Lord, to reveal yourself to us. Help us to see, help us to hear, Father, and receive glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The title of the sermon today is King Jesus, the Advocate. I have three points for you. The first point, that you may not sin. That you may not sin. The second point, the sinner's advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. The sinner's advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then the third point, Christ, our propitiation. Christ our propitiation. Okay, under that you may not sin. John states in verse 1 here, I write these things to you that you may not sin. Now when a Christian hears the subject of sin come up, there's a few ditches that they can fall into. We all have baggage and one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate and apply the word of God to those areas where our thinking and therefore our actions are wrong. We want to see sin for the horror that it is, but we don't want to think that keeping ourselves from sin makes us acceptable to a holy God. That's how we're prone to think, okay? So the ditches are called legalism and antinomianism, generally speaking. Legalism, that somehow there's something we do to make God happy with us. That though we are born in iniquity and sinned every day of our life, somehow we can do something and God will be happy with us because of what we have done. That's a wrong way to think about sin and obedience to the law. But on the other hand, we have antinomianism or antinomos, no law. We live as though God did not give us a law. And that's a ditch too, right? Paul addresses that when, he, when, when he, the people would think naturally, we'll sin more that grace may abound more. And Paul says, God forbid that we think like that. So we don't want to fall into this idea about sin, that somehow the things we do are meritorious, that God uh, accepts them as offerings towards our righteousness, right? But we also don't want to think that that sin and our relationship to sin as believers has no part because, because John writes to us here. What things did John write to us? He wrote the gospel, right? The gospel of of John, uh, roughly five to ten years before this epistle. And he wrote verse five right here. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. John tells us not to sin because he wants us to have this perfected love of God in our lives. Right, Not to have this desire to abstain from sinning because we're working our way towards something. But there, there is a real, tangible deficit in a Christian's life when they go about sinning regularly without repentance, without acknowledgement, 
planning their sin, that there is a knowledge and a closeness and a nearness to God, that you are stifling, quenching. And Paul says to to the little children, to the dear ones in the faith, that he doesn't want this, that he, he wants them to know the tender, fervent relationship with God and Jesus Christ, their Savior, and that when there is sin, that that breaks that. I heard a, an account, a modern parable, if you will, from uh, Ray Comfort. Some of you guys have heard Ray Comfort before, and I've expanded it and elaborated it a little bit, but I think it, it highlights well what what John's getting at when it comes to where he wants our affections to be. It goes like this. And I know, I know children, if you're listening, if I've lost you already, I, I have a story, so listen up, okay? Hopefully I can keep your attention with this one. It goes like this. There's a, there's a, 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 a boy, a son, who's been coming to his father for a while and asking his father to take him fishing. The father's quite busy. So eventually the father, he says, I need to take my son fishing. So what he does, because he's very busy, is he, he blocks out some time in his schedule. And he takes them camping. And he says, we're going we're to do nothing but fishing this weekend. So they go. The father and son are there alone, and he's setting up the camp. And the son's really itching to go fishing, really bad. He want, wants to get out there and go fishing. He doesn't want to help set up the tent. He doesn't want to do any of that. And so the father says, reluctantly. You can go fishing. This is very important. It's, there's alligators in the lake, and it's alligator season. There's a dock that comes up high on the hill. You fish from that dock, and do not go down by the water. Don't take the boat out. So the boy goes out, and he's fishing. He sees the fish jumping just out further than he can get to. He remembers the words, the instructions of his father. But he desires to go and try to get to those fish. So he gets in the boat and he goes out. And now sooner than he passed the end of the dock, an alligator comes and it knocks the boat over. He cries out. The father hears him. The father runs. The boat's right side up. It dumped him out. He, he puts his son in the boat. And as he's trying to get back, the alligator gets a hold of the father's leg and he tears him up pretty bad. The father's alive his legs hurt really bad. He makes it to shore, and the sun stands there. You can picture this in your mind. The smell of the water and the mud and the sounds of the birds and the insects there. And he's looking at his father in disbelief. The sun looks down at what his disobedience has brought about. Not following his father's instructions. He looks down at his father's flesh and the bone exposed, and he sees that. And he's horrified at what his disobedience has brought. And then he looks at the father, and he says, I'm so sorry that my disobedience has led to this. But, but dad, I just, I really want to go fishing. I just got to go fishing. And brothers and sisters, that is often how we treat sin in our life. The cost 
of our Lord and Savior and what he did. Of course, the physical torment, but the wrath of God laid on him for our disobedience. How can we then go and say, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. But I I really like doing that thing. I really like doing that thing. John writes to us. And he wants our affections to be set on the sacrifice of God, of Christ, on what the Father did to Christ on our behalf. That's where he wants our affections to be. He wants us to think in our mind of what the scriptures say about the cost of redemption and for our emotions to be tied and say, how can I sin? It cost my Savior his life. How can I do the things that God hates when the price was so high? And we don't come and try to keep the law because we think we want to be good people. Because we think we want God to accept us by us keeping the law. We come with hearts that are filled with love and gratitude for what our God has done for us. And that's where, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that John wants us here. He writes these things to us that we would not sin. There's no threat there, right? There's no threat. If you do this, if you step out of line, God will zap you. No, no, no. What sin, brothers and sisters, what sin could you love more than your Savior? What sin could you love more than your Savior? Well, point number two. The sinner's advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. John knows us. The, the Lord knows us, and he's inspiring John. John's goal is that we would not sin, but his writing is inspired, right? Right? The Lord knows his creation, John writes, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's like John is saying, my dear children in the faith, remember what Christ has done and do not sin, but until the day you are glorified, you will give in to sinful temptations. You will yield to the flesh instead of following the Spirit at times, not as a a regular thing, but it will happen, right? And when you do, don't think that you have to work your way back to Christ. Work through good works, right? That is how we're prone to think. God, I I, I messed up again. I'm going to do these good things to get back in your graces. Remember, at the right hand of the Father sits King Jesus, the Advocate, of sinners saved by grace. I'm amazed at the dedication many of the Roman Catholics have that we encounter in front of the abortion mill. They're very dedicated. And man, they are praying. I I hear, I haven't heard it when the Eastern Orthodox Church came out. I don't hear the name of Jesus. Mary, Mary, pray for us sinners. 
they are, I mean, so fervent. And it's, it's dead. It goes nowhere. Mary can't hear them. Christian, brothers and sisters, Christ is at the right hand of the Father, and He's advocating for us. When we fall into sin, He is there. He hears us. It's real. And He goes before the Father on behalf of unworthy sinners. We're given a shadow of what this looks like in Exodus chapter 32. Turn with me there if you would like. You don't have to. I'll read it for you. But Exodus 32... Start in verse 7 here. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. And this, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. So hold your place there. We're going to get back to that in a second. Some of you are familiar with this. Maybe some of you aren't. So the mighty God, Yahweh, that brought his people, one to two million people, Israelites, out of Egypt with his strong right arm, he took on the most powerful nation the world had ever seen. And through the plagues, getting worse and worse and worse, finally culminating with the firstborn being killed in the land of Egypt, even the Pharaoh's son, even the cattle, even the animals, the Lord with a, with a strong right arm, with his might, he brought them out. You remember the picture there in the land of Goshen where the the very first Passover took place. That any house that had the blood of the spotless lamb above the doorpost, death would pass over them. Right? That picture, that beautiful picture there. And then they come out. And no sooner has the Lord delivered them, they've lost faith when they get to the Red Sea. Right? And again, the mighty hand of God displayed in such a miraculous, supernatural way brings them through dry land. And then they're not out there long. Moses goes up on the mountain. 40 days. Might not have been 40 days yet. And what do they say? He's gone. We need a new, a new, a new prophet. We need a new God. And Aaron says, give me your nose rings and your earrings. And here's a calf. This, you think about the, the idolatry, the, the, the unfaithfulness, right, of Israel. The things that God has displayed to them. And here they go. This cow that has eyes but cannot see, a mouth that cannot speak, ears that cannot hear. This Israel is your God that brought you out of Egypt. And as that's happening, and they're worshiping this golden calf made with the hands of man, God is up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai with Moses. And God, a holy God. He's not a God that's rash. He's not a God that's quick to anger. He says that about himself. But he's holy and he's righteous. 
And he sees this idolatry. He sees what he often likens to fornication, like a married person going off, right? They're, they're going after other gods, unfaithful. He says, I'm going to wipe them. I'm going to destroy them. And he would be perfectly just to do it to every person that's ever lived. But we, we see that just the, the stiff neck, the stubbornness of this people to recognize what God has done. Back to our text. That's where we are after all this has happened. Verse 30. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, I think I picked up in the wrong spot. Sorry, I did. Verse 11, sorry, verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord. All right, this is right after he said he's going to destroy them. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out, of the, out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants so they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do do to his people. It's a picture of intercession. It's a picture of what John's talking here. But here's the thing. That's the type. That's the shadow. That's the fuzzy example, right? It is the imperfect, and Christ is the perfect. What do I mean? What happened to Moses? He didn't even make it into the promised land, did he? You guys with me? He didn't make it, did he? Why didn't he make it? Sin. A beautiful demonstration in the word of God of intercession, of love. Moses could have easily said, sounds good, God. You'd be right to do it. And then I will be the great name of your descendants, right? You're going to make a people of me. But his love and his affection was for the people of God. So he said, remember, God, remember what you've said. Remember, what will the people say about your name? Your name will be brought down by the Egyptians. God, what about your name? Remember your people. And Moses was an imperfect intercessor who was not even allowed to go into the land of Canaan. Brothers and sisters, we have a perfect intercessor. We have a perfect intercessor, a sinless one. In all the history of the world, there has never been a man to enter into glory until the God-man Jesus Christ rose from the grave and he went in. He's there. He has a body. He offered Thomas to touch him. And he's there at the right hand of the Father. And he's interceding for weak, failing, wretched Adopted children of God. Brethren, what sin do you love more than your Savior? Brethren, how 
Do you, are you not considering that when you walk away and while you're there, your God intercedes for you? Your Savior intercedes for you to the Father. Remember, Father, remember my sacrifice. Remember your great name, Father. Remember the wrath that I took for their sins, specifically, right? Not generally, for your sin. Christ paid it. He interceded for us, and He did it perfectly. Our advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Point number three, Christ, our propitiation. I put a little bit of Greek in here so I can try to look smart. I'm going to mispronounce it, I'm sure. Propitiation is from the Greek word hilamos. And most people think it means, well, you don't have to say it out loud, but what do you think propitiation means? Most people think it means payment. Okay? It's definitely part of it. But it's better. It's better understood like this. A payment that bears God's wrath, that's the payment part, and turns it. It turns God's wrath to favor. A propitiation is a payment that takes God's wrath, His anger, at sin, at your sin, and when you're in Christ, it turns it. And it turns it to favor. So that you're not, your sin debt is not zero. Right? You're seen as righteous. I had, um, and thank you, Brother, Brother Andrew, for reading from Leviticus. Uh, we saw a picture of what was instituted. In fact, it's, it's the middle of February right now, right? So those of you who have started your Bible reading plan, trying to go from Genesis to the end, you're, you're in the hard part right now. Leviticus numbers, right? I think Leviticus is wonderful, but sometimes it's hard. Numbers is dry. What do you see over and over and over and over? The priest's work, right? Over and over and over, countless bulls, countless lambs, there's sheep, there's doves, there's grain offerings, over and over and over and over and over, and it's never enough. The payment is never turned to blessing, right? It's not there. It's a covering. We talked about that providentially in prayer group this morning. Brother Josh came out with Hebrews 10. We're going to turn there in a second. You can turn there now if you want. The work was never done. There was always more sacrifice needed. And then the irony of irony is before the priest could go before the people to do this, what did he have to do? He had to consecrate himself. This sinner himself could not go to make intercession and sacrifice because he was a sinner. So we have this cycle for hundreds of years. And there, was, there should have been at least that anticipation, and there was with true Israel, for the Messiah that God would send. They didn't understand it all, 
but they were trusting in Yahweh's Messiah to come. And that cycle, one day, that God would bring something from that, okay? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifice which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Right? It was never had the ability to make a man righteous. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. That's, he's logically telling you there would be no need to continue, right? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, talking about the Levit- Levitical sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin, sins every year. Every year. For it is not possible, listen, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So why did they do it? They do it for centuries, right? There's an answer. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, this is Christ, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offering and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, talking to the Father, which are offered according to the law, Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. That for centuries, the sacrificial law was the first. And now Christ is here. He's the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What's it say there? Once for all. Once for all. What was the words that Christ cried out on the cross? It is finished, right? To tell us thy, it's finished. If you think back to that work of propitiation, again, it's not full under the Levitical law, right? There was a form of sacrifice, but it wasn't turning that anger to, to, to blessing, right? What was missing from, from the tabernacle, from uh, from the temple, they had a table, they had an uh, 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 altar, they had furniture, they had curtains, they had walls. But there's no chair. There's no chair there. Why is there no chair when the priests were always in there doing stuff? <laughs> the work was never done. The work was never done. No sooner did the priest finish making some sort of uh, offering for himself to enter in. He's in the midst of his sin again. No, no sooner than he had offered a sacrifice for the people. They were in sin again, right? But what did, what did Jesus Christ, this is so good. What did Jesus Christ do as soon as he ascended into heaven? He sat down. He sat down. The work was done. Atonement had been made. 
He is the propitiation for our sins. It's done. Oh, there's work for us to do, but not for our salvation. It's secured. If you're Christ's, you have everything. It's done. He sat down. It's accomplished. It's completed. Christian, do you think like this? Do you think like this? Do you try to abstain from sin because you love the Lord or because you think He's going to thump you on the head if you step out of line? Do you remember when you do sin that you have an advocate, the one that's greater than Moses, the perfect advocate? He needed no sacrifice to enter into the presence of God for He was perfectly righteous and holy. He could walk into the presence of the Father. And he sits. The the right hand of God is equated throughout the Scriptures as where his strength comes from, right? That's where he is. At the strength of the Father sits the Son. It is finished. Payment's made. And he's advocating for you all the time. When you mess up again, you've done that thing again, some shame swirling around in your mind. Sometimes you feel defeated. We go through seasons where we do well. Sometimes the Lord in His loving providence pulls back a bit, stumble. You see, we're not doing as good as we thought we were, but the Lord was sustaining us. You have an advocate. You have a perfect Advocate, God Himself, Jesus Christ, day and night. Remember, Father, remember, I paid for it all. Remember, it's finished. Your anger has been assuaged, it's been paid for. The propitiation has happened, the payment, and now, again, favor. You're an adopted child of God. It's been said like this. The Father treated Christ on the cross as though He lived your life. And He treats us as though we had lived Christ's life. This should change us, brothers. It should be the fuel in our day. This should be the central point of how we interact with everybody and everything. We deserve the wrath of God. And here we sit, a blessed adopted child, while God makes intercession for us day and night. Turn your affections from this world and the sin and place them on your Savior. He is such a great Savior. Look unto Christ. See the glorious goodness of this God. And let Him draw your affections. Ask Him. Plead with Him. God, I want to love You more. I want to have a hunger and a thirst for Your Word more. I want to hate sin more. If it's sincere, the Lord will bring things into your life that will make you hate sin more. And it can be painful sometimes. Sometimes it's exposing sin. Other times it's hardship. 
But the discipline, although it's uncomfortable for a moment, it produces righteousness and good. And the Lord loves you. And he wants you conformed into the thinking of his son because he loves you. Applications. Today, has the Holy Spirit pointed something out in your life? A sin that you knew about already? You put it off to the side. Don't think about it. It's not a, a big sin. Remember what John has written. Remember that he's written of the character and the goodness of your Savior, Jesus Christ, that you would not sin. Remember that you have an advocate when you stumble. Turn your affections from sin towards God. Turn your affections from sin towards God. You will never remain neutral. You'll never be idle. You are moving every day towards God or drawing away from Him. Number two, confess your sins. First to God, then one to another. Have a brother or sister you are accountable to. Don't be afraid people will think less of you. I tell you, it's, the irony hits me sometimes when we're, we're the good Calvinists, right? We're the total depravity. We are, there's no vestige of our heart. There's no part of our being that's not radically corrupt and affected from sin. But I can't tell so-and-so that I struggle with this because they'll think less of me. It makes no sense, does it? It's in me too, brethren. I get it. Confess your sins to God. You don't have to run and tell every little thing, but when there's, you know, when there's something there, and you're like, I'm having a struggle with this thing. Be honest. Find somebody. Find somebody that loves you and loves your soul and confess it to them. Don't allow that cancer to take root and to grow. Sin hurts. It hurts people around you. It affects people around you. It changes how you think. You won't see it if you allow it to fester. You'll be blind to its effects even when others can see it. Go to war with it. Confess your, your sins first to God, then to one another. We won't think less of you. We all have the same struggles. Third application. With Christ as our example, intercede for one another. This is tied to confessing your sins, not perfectly, but they're related. With Christ as our example, intercede for one another. Let me tell you how intercession goes in the average conservative, theologically rich church. It goes like this. Pray for this medical need. Pray for that medical need. Pray for my friend's medical need. Pray for the missionary. And maybe money if we're being real honest. It's all good. It's all valid, right? We should have that robust relationship, fellowship with one another, where we can come and say, I'm struggling with my, my thought life. I'm, I'm struggling with love my wife. We have a good marriage get so frustrated sometimes. 
Kids, you should be able to go to your parents, to somebody, and say, I have good parents, but I don't know what's going on with me. They tell me what to do all of a sudden. I don't like it. It happens. It's called being a teenager. Right? Wives. You should have somebody you can go to. Saying, the Lord has called me to obey and submit to this. And it's hard. He makes it hard. Right? We can be real. We don't have to come and pretend that we're doing better than we are. We all have areas that the Lord's growing us in. No, nobody's sanctified total. Nobody's glorified yet, right? We're all being sanctified. We're all on the path. Have somebody you can go to that you can intercede for, and they can intercede for you. Prayer's amazing. Prayer changes us as we have time with God. I'm amazed at the things. I can't remember anything. I can't remember anything. It's terrible. I'm amazed in prayer, the thing, the words of God that come to my mind. I didn't even know they were in there. Intercede for one another with them and on your own. Lift them up to God. Next application is really just a point of remembrance. It's remember the words of Christ on the cross. It is finished. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, right? The liar, and he has been from the beginning. He would love for nothing more than for you to wallow in discouragement rather than repenting and getting up in the joy of the Lord, knowing that your sin's been paid for. You have an intercessor, and it's been totally paid for by Christ on the cross. That's not where you're thinking. That's not where Satan would want your thinking to go. He wants you wallowing and not being good enough. Or maybe I can, I can pull myself up and do enough good, right? Remember the words of Christ on the cross. It is finished. And then lastly... For those of you that are here, that are not Christian, that you've not bowed the knee to Christ, none of this, where you stand right now, none of this is yours. You've not been set free from the power of sin in your life. Its chains are around you. You drag them with you everywhere. You think you you choose to sin You may choose what sin you do, but you're enslaved to it. You have yet to be liberated. You have no intercessor. You simply have the judgment that was on Israel for their wickedness over you. That is where you stand at this moment before a righteous and holy God without Christ. And you have no propitiation. At least you, have, you don't have one applied to you. Right? It's there. You have no payment for your sin. You are in your sin. Now the amazing thing is that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone. Every person that's ever lived. And 
Some of those people there will wrap their arms around their Savior and weep tears of joy as they are worshiping their God. And some will be weeping in utter terror. Unimaginable fear as the righteous and holy God stands over them, not knowing them. So this is the Gospel call. Christ stands ready to forgive anyone. Regardless, there is no sin that is too wicked that Christ's invaluable life did not pay for if you are in Christ. You have freedom from the power of sin in your life. Shame. I say, what do you, what do, you do with your shame? You can drown it, distract it, but it's there. Christ stands to take your shame away. To intercede for you. Where you are right now an enemy. He offers you adoption and intercession to the Father. They're forgiven. Payment. Your sin debt not at zero. 100% like you kept the law perfectly. That is the gospel call. That is the offer here today. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, what an amazing God you are. Oh, Father, there's nothing in any of us that was attractive to you. Because of your good pleasure, because of a love that you have that really is beyond our comprehension, Father, you saw fit to crush your perfect Son on behalf of wretched sinners. Father, may we rise up. Oh, Lord, help us to believe this. Father, may we have our affection set on Christ, on you, Lord, so tightly that the sins of this world, they just look unappealing to us, Father. May we remember our intercessor. May we remember that Christ said, it is finished, Father. And may we live a life that glorifies you, Lord. Oh, help us, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.